Today's scripture will come from the book of Revelations, chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1039. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, uh, These are the true words of God. In chapter 21, verses 9 through 11. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. This is the word of God. Thank you. That was great. This is it. Uh, part 12 out of 12 in our series on um, Christ-centered singleness and marriage concludes today. And um, I, I've always thought this is the, the right way to conclude. Um, I don't know if you know this, but this is, this is the, the Bible ends with a marriage. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. The Bible ends with a marriage. The Bible begins with a marriage and the Bible ends with a marriage. And um, that's what this is about. So today I'm going to talk about um, the marriage feasts of God and what it means. I know it seems like this big thing. Jesus is the Son of God. And he is somehow married to this group called the church, his bride, which is what this passage is talking about. And, um, and what I want to just say, I mean, I don't have like tons and tons of things I want to say to you today because I think we've just gone through so much, and I know it's not easy. As, as many of you have been listening to this mes messages over the, over the weeks, marriage is not easy. In fact, it's you know, sometimes just downright hard. In fact, it can be quite searingly painful because the deepest, hardest things about us need to change. The deepest, hardest things that where we don't even want to change but need to change. That's what marriage challenges us in. So in three parts today, number, part one, um, a safe space for repentance and radiance. A safe space for repentance and radiance. Part two, there's a hope for real love. Part two, a hope for real love. And part three, um, the, 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 Jesus, the Jesus who changes us, right? That's the Jesus who changes us. All right, part one, um, a safe space. You know, what is this passage here? Um, as I said, the Bible opens with a marriage. God makes human beings in his image, and then you know the very first thing he does? After he makes um, a woman to bring to Adam who is alone, he marries them. <laughs> and then in the middle of the book, in the middle of the book, there is this book called Proverbs, which is kind of the singular book of, that everybody knows is about, is about um, wisdom. 
Do you know that the book of Proverbs, it closes and it's about marriage? Did you know that? And in fact, all throughout the book of Proverbs, there's all kinds of commentary about, about keeping yourself sexually pure, about how to figure out who is a worthy wife. It's really a, a big chunk of the book is about a father teaching his son how to um, get married. And, have, have, and then so the book culminates in chapter 31 in what a glorious wife looks like. And then, at the, and then we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and it tells you all these different things. Wives be like this, husbands be like this. For then, husbands, you should love your, your, your wife as Christ loved the church, washing her, making her radiant, and so that she would be without spot or blemish. And then as he says all these things, at the end of that passage in Ephesians 5, Paul says this really odd thing. He says, I'm actually really not talking about your marriage. I'm actually talking about Jesus Christ and his church. That's what he's, talking, that's what he's saying. And then the end of the Bible ends like this. So some of you maybe heard that there's all kinds of strange imagery and some of the really scary and terrifying things that happen in the book of Revelation, and there is. It's a really weird book in a lot of strange ways. Um, but this is how it ends. The way it ends is a huge marriage celebration. It's a marriage feast. And in this marriage feast, it's a, it's, you have all the, all the beings up in heaven singing hallelujah, and it's going on to say, here is the bride, and she's going to be radiant. That's what it's saying. It says, blessed are all of you who are invited to this great wedding feast. Now, um, have any of you ever really been to a really good wedding feast? I mean, um, if you've been to some of the weddings in our church, some of them have just been not only been really good, but like fantastic, okay? And, um, and then I've been to some other ones. I mean, the one that I've been to a lot of memorable wedding feasts, um, one of my favorites that, I, that, that comes to my mind, a friend of mine, she's Vietnamese, and she married, um, her husband is half Jewish, I think, I forget, I think dad is Jewish, and mom is Chinese, or something like this, right? And so they had, she wore Vietnamese garb, and, um, and then, you know, they had more of a, a traditional Western wedding, but then at the reception, they had Chinese banquet. And if, if you ask me, this is my, the fa okay, there's like two favorite meals I've ever had at a wedding. One was this one. It was nine courses. <laughs> nine courses. Every course, well, I think the fourth course was a little too weird for me, okay? But every other course was absolutely fantastic, right? And then the other um, memorable wedding feast I had was, um, this was, uh, uh, um, was in Toronto, <laughs> And this is our, our brother Roman. You know, he he was he he belonged to us, but then he moved to Toronto um, to to be with his wife. And um, for those of you who know, Roman is his father's Russian, and his mom is ethnically Korean, although she's more culturally Russian. So it's it's, it's strange. She's she's Korean Russian. Okay, <laughs> all right. And and um, and his wife is Chinese Canadian. And they had this wedding feast. And um, Roman's father knows this woman who apparently is a genius with food. And even though she's Russian, apparently she can figure out how to make Chinese food like a Chinese person and Korean food like a Korean person. 
And then, of course, she could make fantastic Russian food, and then she could do fusion. And so we had like five courses at this meal. It was awesome. <laughs> and that's just the food. That's just the food. And at this, at this, there were these moments. There were these moments. So I, 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 my wife and I were sitting at this table with Roman's parents. And Roman's parents taught us that, you know, you, you know in, in our culture, at least in American culture, if you want the couple to kiss, you, you know, you, what do we do? We take a fork and you, you start pinging the glass, right? And then they kiss and everything. But apparently in, I forget, I forget the phrase, in Russian culture, you start, you start chanting this thing. <laughs> Your table starts chanting this thing. And then everybody in the room starts chanting this phrase. And then, and then the couple has to kiss. And it's awesome. And so... Um, she, she would start trying, she would go, oh, sha, sha. Well, it, was, it was really, it was, it was, and then our whole, I mean, we're not Russian, so there's, there's a handful of Russians, and then, you know, there's a whole bunch of Chinese people, and then, you know, obviously me and my wife were more of Korean descent. We would start chanting this, this Russian phrase. The whole room would get really joyful, and Roman and Angela would kiss, and everybody would, would cheer. And, um, and apparently in Chinese culture, what they like to do is they like to do games, and so it's kind of like these embarrassing games <laughs> where, where Roman, so they had this one game where, um, where Roman has to know, he's being tested on whether he really knows his wife's hand. And so uh, uh, he, they blindfolded him, and then a whole bunch of you know, women would come up, like I think like eight or nine different women come up and put their hand up, and then he had to like touch their hands and figure out which one was his wife. Mm, put on the spot, all right? Some of you guys are like, I'm glad I'm not Chinese, okay? <laughs> all right, and so, um, and then you know, there were like, like eight women and like two guys. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> he figured out, he was like, you're a you're a guy. This you're definitely not my wife, and um, and then, and you know what? He got it right. So I, I don't know if they cheated and let him. You know, they gave him like you know cheating and blindfold. But of course, nobody cared. It was joyful. It was every different nations. The food was fantastic. There was dancing. There was laughter. And this is what it's going to be like, but, but only about a million times better. <laughs> a million times better. Because in the Bible, the Bible says that a marriage is not just he loves her and she loves them and they're going to live happily ever after. By the way, do you know that the stories in the movies, they will live happily ever after? Do you know that's, that's a Western invention? Um, when I was growing up, uh, my, my mom and dad we would every now and then have to watch a Korean movie. And a lot of the Korean movies ended terribly. <laughs> it, the whole thing was intended to make you feel every pain of life. You would weep in the middle of the movie because you know, you're, you'd be like this, your mom and dad would be torn apart. And then like the son would end up in North Korea and, the do and then your brother would end up in South Korea. And, and then you would undergo horrible oppression and the movie would just end like that. <laughs> the movie would just end like that and you would just cry. At the end of the movie, I would cry. And at the end of the movie, like, that's it? <laughs> that's it, it's over? That was the most terrible movie ever. And I would get upset. And then, my, and then of course, the next time my dad wanted to show me a Korean movie, I would just run out of the room. <laughs> and because most other cultures say these are our stories, and you know what those stories are? They're sad stories. 
their broken stories. And when we go into marriage today, and most of you know this, this is how the Bible ends. It's the greatest party there ever has been or ever will be. There's every nation and every kind of food and every fusion thereof, I, so, I, I presume. Right? I, I guess I, I don't know if we're just going to sit there and eat forever. That will be fine by me, okay? Um, eat and dance. But, but Western weddings, which are based on a biblical hope, Western weddings are based on the hope that there can be such a thing as happily ever after. And the reason there can be such a thing as happily ever after is because Western weddings are based not on primarily, this is a nice guy, and look how great he looks in his tux. And here's a really beautiful girl, and look how great she looks in white, and they're going to live happily ever after because they're really nice people. The Western wedding ultimately is this. The reason he looks so good, and then especially the reason she's in white, is because he has come to say, I stand up. There's a glory inside of me, and I will lay it down and die for her so she could be radiant in white and splendor. Sinless, that's what it means. That the weddings that we have here in our culture is really, and, and this, I know this sounds really strange, because you go to a lot of different weddings, and, um, and, and it's, it's just all about romance. He loves her, and she loves him back, and then they say these really schlocky things, these really syrupy, ridiculous things that we wish that could be true, but most of us don't believe is actually true. But the weddings, they're really supposed to be about this. And here is why the gospel has to be right at the center. Because this, the reason they can have the super party is because he has come to lay down his life, bleed for her, to make her radiant with holiness. And what that means is, right in the middle of marriage, there has to be a gospel movement. And so... And you guys know I always like to quote this guy, Tim Keller. So I <laughs> listen to his, the, the last sermon that he gives in his series. And, and here is partly what he says. In every good marriage where Christ is king, there's a movement of the gospel which makes repentance safe. It's something like this. So he says there's a gospel. And sometimes it can happen two or three times in a day. Some t- and, 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 and over what happens is this. Um, the wife says something that hurts her husband. (laughs) Or the husband does something which is really insensitive and which hurts his wife or disappoints his wife. She or he, maybe they don't say anything at that moment, (laughs) but somewhere along they gently ask the other person, you hurt me in this way. And will you change? Will you change this? And the one who has been hurt forgives and covers up the wrong. Does not count all the other hundred other times that my husband did this. Or the hundred other times that my wife neglected to do this. They they forgive. And because 
there's forgiveness. Not because you have to do this, because you just have to do this for me, but because I love you. So we can become closer. So that our hearts and our minds, our souls get entwined to become one. Well, you just change this. And then, so there's a hurt, a sin. And then there's a forgiveness. And then the one that did the sinning or did the hurting will say, because you forgive me, because you're patient with me, because you love me, I'll try to change. And you know what that is? That's repentance. (laughs) It's repentance. So it could be my wife says, you know, those socks have been on the carpet for several days now. (laughs) That's a really gentle way of saying I can feel the stress inside of me, (laughs) climb because the socks can't be on the floor or or stress inside of me just starts to climb. You know, it took me, oh, I don't know, eight years to figure this out. (laughs) I don't know, seven, eight years to figure it out. And so I look at that, and now instead of just thinking, I don't really care because I don't really care because, you know, because I don't care. (laughs) I go, oh, yeah, Uh, maybe I, I, I shouldn't hurt my wife. I pick the socks up, and you know what that mud is? It's just, in a really little way, it's repentance. And then, you know, after five years or ten years of me doing this in little ways, and then sometimes, sometimes in big ways, you have a big knockdown, drag them out, screaming, crying. It's like it's bad, right? And then she says, I'll forgive you. I'll bear with this. I won't leave you. I'm here. We're one. I'm here. And then, I don't want to change this. This is like one of the hardest, deepest things inside of me. I, I can't change this. But because she forgave me the way I deeply hurt her, Maybe I could begin, just begin to take steps to change this repentance. And you know, this is, this is the road to radiance. This is marriage. And that is the, what the party is for. And that is what Jesus came to give us. In, in one sense, let me put it to you this way. In one sense, if human beings cannot become united to a savior bridegroom. They will never change from the horrible, selfish, insecure, needy, angry, greedy, prideful, all that horrible gunk that's inside of us. They'll never change from that. And we'll just kill each other. Sometimes we'll kill each other. We'll stay together and we're married, but really, we're just as cold as heck. And inside, I've just stuck all my little daggers inside of you, and inside you just died a thousand little deaths. (laughs) And that's all marriage will be. And we know that love will die, and this will be life. Doesn't that just suck? There we go. It's like a Korean tragic movie. (laughs) But if this is the real story of marriage, then you can actually believe there can be such a thing as 
happily ever after. Because the gospel gives this movement sin, forgiveness, love, repentance, radiance. Let me go to part two of my message. I want to give you an example. <laughs> um, I have been reading a book called um, The Confessions of an Unlikely Convert, uh, and it is Rosaria, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. And I mentioned her once in a sermon. She's starting to become somewhat famous, or depending on the circle, infamous. Um, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield was a radical lesbian feminist English professor at Syracuse University. <laughs> And um, she, she kind of stumbled into Christianity. She wanted to learn something about the Bible, and she thought, you know, she's, she's an intellectual. She has a PhD in literature. And so um, she wanted to go around and ask some pastors if they would actually teach her something about the Bible. And some pastor actually engaged her with respect and friendship and started a deep friendship where she started to deeply read the Bible she says um, she would devour the Bible. <laughs> and at the time, she was living with her lesbian lover. And her lesbian lover was like a former Presbyterian pastor. Uh, I know that sounds really weird. And so the, the former Presbyterian feminist pastor, who is now a lesbian lover, was saying, I've read the Bible, and it didn't help me, but maybe it'll help you, Rosaria. And after a while, her lesbian lover starts saying, this, this Bible reading thing, is, it's starting to change you. And after a while, she said, but what if it's true? This Jesus is true. And she got saved. <laughs> she had this thing that she calls a train wreck conversion. She was, she was a super activist, and she was one of the core members of her um, campus of the radical gay rights movement on her campus. And when she came out as a Christian, came out, I know that's, it's weird language now we have to use, okay? She came out as a Christian publicly in, in, a, in, in, a, in a lecture as a professor. Oh, gosh, like her friends, they, they say, you cut us. You, you're a traitor. And she lost all her friends. She ultimately lost her job. <laughs> She lost everything, but she got Jesus. But um, I just want to challenge you to read this book. It's, it's, an, it's an unbelievable book. It is, a, it is a painful book. It is a challenging book. But she got married later on. Okay? She almost married this one guy, and she thought, God saved me from that terrible man. Okay? Uh, and because she got, she, as she started to really explore faith, there was a, another guy who had his own deep issues, and they would explore the, the Bible together. And then she thought she was falling in love, but I think they just were just deeply needy. And they almost got married, and then it broke off, and she was so thankful later on because it turned out. And, but, like, he broke her heart. He ripped. Can you imagine? You're a lesbian lover. You're, you have a lesbian lover. You turn your back on that whole life to follow Jesus. You fall in love with a man because he was this person that, was, that saw the exciting things in the Bible. You get engaged to this man, and then he breaks it off with you and breaks your heart into a thousand splinters. That's what happened to her. 
She left her whole life behind in Syracuse, and then she went off to Geneva College in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is a much more, I guess, Christian place than Syracuse. And it was a difficult place for her. She says uh, there would be these Bible verses on people's um, you know, you know, driveways, and that unnerved me. It felt like these Christians trying to jam the Bible. She goes, I'm a Christian now, but it, she felt every fear of what it was like when she still lived her lesbian lifestyle. But down the, but down the road, she married a man. Her, her name is Kent, and I want to just read a little bit about this. She said this. This is how she describes him. I could fill a whole book about Kent Butterfield as her husband. If he'd let me, I could tell you how his soft brown eyes put me immediately at ease. I could tell you how his outstretched hand placed on my lower back dissipates the tension from the day away. I, I, I can just imagine this woman who once used to think she hated this stuff, hated the Christian vision of marriage. But now she has her husband, and when he puts her, his hand right here, she says, all the tension in my day just, just kind of drains away when he puts her hand right there, his hand there. I could tell you how his practical jokes still stump me. I could tell you about the time that I celebrated the departure of two weeks of back-to-back needy house guests. You ever have a needy house guest? One that, you know, you're, you love this person, so you let them stay in your house, but then they drive you kind of crazy? <laughs> and there's this, so one guest from the group would root me out of the bathroom, would call, pull me out of my own bathroom in constant need in detail of ne- detailed and specialized kitchen equipment. Rosaria, where is your pampered chef garlic press? Rosaria, where is the springform pan? Rosaria, where's the electric rice maker? This drove her crazy. So I commemorated her absence by taking a long shower with my bathroom door unlocked. And suddenly the door opened. I felt a rush of cold air and someone said in a voice I couldn't place, Mrs. Butterfield, where's the Williams-Sonoma cappuccino maker? I screamed. (laughs) And it was her husband. And apparently that's the kind of stuff her husband does. It is a good thing that his outstretched hand cures the twitch in my back because his practical jokes assemble the plucky comic relief of our life in ministry and our marriage. Kent is my husband, my best friend, my prayer partner for life, and my one true love. But alas, dear reader, I cannot write a whole book on Kent Butterfield. He is too humble and modest to allow it. Or perhaps he is too fearful about the details I might share. <laughs> Either way, you will have to make do with the book that continues here. I, I so badly want her to write that book about her husband. <laughs> like, I, I, because when you read some of the other stuff, you can actually start to peek in and realize they actually have a beautiful marriage. Let me tell you a couple other things about her. How did a woman like me ever get married? I do not know many feminists who hold the institution of marriage as radically negative or dangerous as I had in my past. Before I became one of Christ's own, this was how I viewed the institution of marriage. This is how she thought of it. As dangerous and as something to be avoided. When the subject of gay marriage would come up among my friends, 
I would respond by asking, why add good people to a sick institution? That's what she thought of marriage before she became a Christian. Can you believe that? Let me give you a, a description of her family. And this is what I mean by she has a... Um, oh, I've got to get to this page. Um, she has a, a, a beautiful marriage. The reason she feels that she, she's gone through a lot of hard things in her marriage. She went through... a. Uh, a train wreck, what she called a train wreck of a conversion. And the first couple years of her marriage was just sorting out just how to be a wife, how to be a woman. <laughs> how the heck do you do this? And then their life was filled with a lot of ministry. They would, they would let people come to their house and minister them. They, they, they were incredibly hospitable people. And she would, I mean, Kent became a pastor. So she's a pastor's wife now. How would you like to go to that church? <laughs> the pastor's wife, former radical lesbian feminist professor who has a deep understanding of hermeneutics. Whoa, that's an intimidating person, but also a wonderful person. And they learned this balance between how to have hospitality for other people, how to have kids. She got married at the age of 39. So ladies, there's always hope for you. <laughs> I want to say this. And so... One of the things I want to say, the reason I want to share this story with you is some of you, you have this view that I can't get married because I'm too old. I can't get married because I'm too sinful. I can't get married because I hate men. Or I can't get married because I hate, uh, I hate women because she hurt this, my girlfriend five years ago, really ripped my heart apart. Well, she's experienced all of that. I can't get married because we can't have kids. Or I can't get married because after we have kids, you know, we're going to, we, we can't do the stuff that you said, Pastor Susan, about making the marriage our priority because we have kids. Oh, we, we can't do our marriage right because we're so involved in the church. All of these things that I think the excuses that we have or lack of hope that we have, I can't get married because my, my husband just doesn't get me. Can you imagine a man who probably is like, he's confused by his wife regularly? <laughs> he's like, oh, that, that must be from like your lesbian days. That's confusing to me, okay? <laughs> yes. And yet, here's other things. When Christ is at the center, the distinct roles that we assume have allowed us to claim a unity in family purpose. So in their marriage, they have purpose. In their marriage that they know their children belong to God. They say things like this. Kent is called to be a pastor, and with his call come special and unique expectations upon me, his wife. When Christ is at the center, we have been able to embrace our dual call with a sense of shared obedience to God's word. She goes on to describe this. When Christ is at the center, the distinct roles that we assume have allowed us to claim a unity in family structure. So, a lot of um, my, my, this series is me just begging you, pleading with you, arguing with you, giving you all these crazy examples and, and pieces of advice, how you could do it God's way. That's ultimately what I've been saying. Can you do it God's way? Can you let the gospel, can you let the marriage feast of the Lamb be at the center? Your marriage is ultimately not about you, but about Jesus making your, you and your husband, you and your wife, how he has already married himself to us. Listen to their family. Hmm. Um, later in the chapter, I'll discuss the distinct miracle of each of our four children's placement in our family. They adopted children. 
and the pain of one of our disrupted adoptions. One of the distinct challenges that family like ours face is race and confusion of birth order because they don't have, their, all their children, all their adopted children are now white, even though they're white. Son Knox came to us in May 2003 at five months, having had one foster placement. His adoption was finalized in February 2004. So you can read, go on to read about this, right? Daughter AJ came to us in April 2004. So in one year, they get a five-month-old from foster care. The next year, they get a 15-year-old daughter named AJ who has deep trust issues after being hurt by many, 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 many different foster parents. Her, um, having had 11 previous foster placements, her adoption was finalized in March 2006. Daughter Mary came to us at one hour old. Son Knox and I got to be present at the hospital at her birth and were privileged to be the first people to hold and touch her. They were there at the birth. Mary had no foster placements, and her adoption was finalized in October 2006. Foster daughter S, so they have a daughter called S, who was black, right? Came to us in 2007 at two days old. So Knox is now four years old. <laughs> and their Mary is now a year old. Right? And then they have a 16, 17-year-old. <laughs> S came to us um, in 2007. Um, at the hospital, we signed the foster to adopt contract only to have S removed from her home because the agency's director didn't like the placements coordinator of a white home for an African-American child. So she was saying, because they were racist, they took our kids away, our daughter away from us to place her into a black family. And then she tells you this incredible story. They said, should we fight it? But if we fight it, it'll be an ugly battle. Will it be actually good for our daughter, S? Instead of fighting it, they prayed and prayed that she'd be given into a covenant home where Jesus reigns. And they prayed, and then they met the parents. They were an African-American couple, and they're Christians, and they're friends to this day. <laughs> friends to this day. But it was a searingly painful thing. Can you imagine adopting a daughter and then having her ripped away from you? <laughs> and then son Matt came to us in February 2009 at the age of 16. Matt's adoption was finalized in November 2010 with the whole family getting dressed up, going to the courthouse, returning home to a sheet cake the size of a small refrigerator and a great neighborhood celebration. This is their family. This is their marriage. This is real love. And this is the kind of marriage that deserves this kind of a celebration of feast. And this can be your marriage. I have screamed and pleaded and yelled and passionately poured everything I can to you because I want to let you know this is yours in Jesus. In Christ. Pastor, I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. I'm too, I'm too selfish. I'm too angry. I can't be like that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. There's nobody too broken. 
There's no marriage too messed up. Jesus can do this in you, for you. And that's the last thing I just want to say to close this series and we go forward to the table of the Lord. Jesus saves people. Jesus saves marriages. Jesus makes men his kind of man. (laughs) Jesus renews women to be able to help their man become a glorious man. Jesus enables you to forgive. And, And all these things, you know what's emerging out of you? Holiness. Your wholeness, your divine image. And when you're together like this, you'll have a love which is real love. All of history was intended to say the stage of real love. God came to say, I will make you like little images of me. And you know how real images of me will come out? Pure love, holy love, real love. Because if it's not holy love, it's not love. And God will do this in you. And if this happens in you, this is how you will radiate and shine and change. And people will meet you and go, gosh, how do you guys, you guys have a beautiful marriage. You guys have incredible kids. Like Rosaria Butterfield. (laughs) This is not just, just a wild story. This is the gospel. This is Revelation 19, 21, before we get there. Okay. So, Please believe in the hope of marriage and the hope of real love and let Jesus give you the space to have a safe place to repent and change and become radiant. Let's go to the table of the Lord. Father, we come into marriage with so much baggage. Prejudices against women, our own anger against men, our own sexual sins, our greed, our neediness, all the ways we try to control freak our kids and control freak our lives and all our, our, our insecurities about money and body image. And, and, and then we have all the hurts given to us by our mom and dad, all the baggage that we have from our families. How can it possibly be, be unraveled so there could be true love? but it's possible in you. And you came, you came so that you would be married to a terrible bride, us, and that is the cross. And you say, you invite us to this marriage feast, and it says in the scriptures, everyone who's invited, how blessed they are. And so now, we come to your table to be invited to this feast, and may we eat, May we eat of holiness. May we eat of forgiveness. May we eat of the deep security that gives us safety to repent. And may we eat of your power to make us new and have marriages like yours. Thank you for the hope that we have. As we go to your table now, may we receive you and may we be changed in Jesus' name. Let me ask my